Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, really great to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us for worship here at the Vista. This morning, um, we are beginning our Advent series. Um, Through December, we're going to be in this, again, every season, every year leading up to Christmas. Um, Advent, of course, is a word that means arrival or coming, and it uh, obviously references the coming of the Messiah, of Christ into the world. So this time of year, we try to sort of slow down a little bit and really turn our attention and our focus to uh, the coming Messiah. This year, um, our Advent passages each week will be in um, the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you want uh, to Isaiah chapter 9. The text that they just read will be our main text uh, this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to remind you that throughout Advent, as we do with many of our series, we have a reading plan. Um, You can uh, check out this QR code if you're interested. We would encourage you um, to to do that. And just throughout the Advent series, just begin uh, reading our Advent passages along with us. Um, You can, again, scan that QR code and and you can do that. Um, Again, Advent is this uh, generally the season of, of great joy, of anticipation, of excitement, and really preparing our hearts for the arrival, the coming of of Christ that we will, of course, celebrate at at Christmas. with the text we just read, at least part of the text that was just read, is obviously a pretty popular, it may be the most prominent and the most popular uh, text, prophecy, um, when it comes to the, the arriving, the coming of Jesus. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 in particular, is the one you've probably you know, seen it painted on a sign or received it on a Christmas card. It's a pretty popular verse around this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? That's a pretty joyful, exciting verse, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. Um, Really, when it comes to Scripture, one thing that I want to do this morning is I want to sort of pull back a little bit and give you some context um, around what the prophet Isaiah is writing and what he's trying to communicate. One of the sort of foundational elements to proper Bible reading, Bible interpretation, Bible study is that before we can look at a passage of Scripture and apply it to our own lives or ask, what does this mean to me, we need to first ask, Why was it written? What did it mean to the audience to which it was written? Let's understand that first, because I think when we understand that, then Scripture can come more alive to us, and we can ask ourselves, what is God trying to tell me through the text? So before we can sort of jump to the happy Christmas verse, right, let's let's look at the broader context. Why did Isaiah write this text? What was Isaiah trying to communicate from God to the people? And then in light of that, what can we learn? How can we grow? What does God want to, want to show us? All right? So I'll set it up this way. Um, Isaiah, the prophet, is prophesying um, the king at the time, the king of Israel, is a guy named Ahaz. Okay? Ahaz was a terrible, terrible, wicked, awful king. There's really no other way to say it. You can read his story about all that was going on in 2 Kings chapter 16. We don't have time to turn to 2 Kings 16 and and read all of it, but it is not a rosy, pretty picture. Things are pretty bleak. They're pretty bad. If you think about like the Disney movie with like the wicked king or the, that's Ahaz, okay? Ahaz was a bad, bad guy. He introduced um, idolatry um, to to God's people, um, the worship of false and pagan gods. Um, It had gotten so bad that little golden and silver statues were being sold and worshipped in the homes of many of the Israelites. Um, 
Ultimately, he, he went so far as Ahaz uh, closed the temple doors and, and, and barred them shut so that God's people did not, could not go to the temple. And the temple literally uh, sort of just, he kind of ignored it, neglected it. It, it went to ruin um, because of King Ahaz. And so things are pretty bad. And I know for you and me, we listen to that and think, you know, I think the weight of that uh, may not really hit us the same way that it would have um, in the Old Testament. And the reason I say that is hopefully you know by now that the, the building that the church meets in is not like the holy sacred place. Like um, we, we've tried to make sure you understand like when you place your faith in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And so wherever God's people are gathered, that's the church, right? So that's why we can have church, I don't know, in a school or you know, a gym or you know, a field or a park, or wherever we gather together, God's people gather together, that is the church. That is where God, God's spirit is, because God's spirit is in us. But in the Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle, those were holy, sacred places where God's people went to meet with God. And so when Ahaz you know, shuts the doors of the temple and bars them shut, um, it is a grievous, grievous sin because God's people can no longer go to meet with God. There's real, true, genuine worship of Yahweh um, is no longer happening, and in its place is a lot of false worship, a lot of idolatry, uh, and a lot of wickedness. So basically, uh, because of Ahaz, he led the people to completely disregard God, ignore God, uh, and ignore their covenant with God. And it's, this is the environment where then God comes to Isaiah to try to help, you know, turn people's hearts back to God. Isaiah in particular went to Ahaz and he tried to rebuke him and correct him. And, and he tried to, even through some signs and things, he tried to get Ahaz to repent and to turn back to God and to lead the people back to God. But Ahaz would not do that. Ahaz refused. And as a result, Sin was rampant. The people just rebelled, ignored God. The nation had all kinds of problems, family problems, social problems, economic problems, uh, enemies on every front. They were just in a really, really bad place because of their sin and their rebellion. And so God then speaks through the prophet Isaiah. And honestly, if you've read through uh, Isaiah much at all, or if you haven't, in fact, I would just tell you, a lot of Isaiah's message is is not good news, okay? It is not a warm, feel-good sermon. It is not a sermon, it is not a message people would have been lining up to hear because it was all about, you know, a happy, joyful, you know, life. It was, it was pretty bleak. It was all pretty bad news. Basically, Isaiah is going to tell them they are going to be, because of their sin, the way God's wrath is going to be poured out on their sin is they are going to be conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a particularly... Um, just vicious, savage, ruthless people. They were going to conquer the whole northern part of the kingdom. They were going to utterly destroy everything. They were going to kill, murder uh, thousands and thousands. 
There was no like rules of war back then. There was no like, you know, UN policies to sort of govern how things work. There's no coalition of nations going to come in and help save them. Um, It was all really, really dark, really, really bad news. This is what's going to happen because you guys have left your covenant with God. You've ignored God. You've rebelled against God. Um, Idolatry and and, and witchcraft and all these things are taking place. And so again, it's all all pretty bad news. Basically, Isaiah is saying there's going to be gloom and destruction and suffering and darkness. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Like this is, it's all pretty dark, bad news. And so I know that we sometimes look at Isaiah and we sort of pick out the warm, feel good, like Christmas passages. But most of the book of Isaiah is, is pretty bleak. It's pretty bleak. In fact, we'll look at the last verse of chapter eight. The last verse of chapter eight, verse 22 says this, and they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Man, it's just, it's just not going to go well for them because of their sin and their rebellion against God. Now, most of the book of Isaiah is, is like this, but then, but then you have this, every now and then you get this ray of hope, this ray of light that comes through. That's what chapter 9 is, right? Chapter 9 is um, it's, it's a, it's a glimpse of some hope and something, something better. That's why chapter nine begins with the word but or nevertheless in, in Hebrew, right? Um, that's really good news, right? Like if you've gotten nothing but bad news and it's all been really awful and terrible, you really wanna hear someone go, but, right? Because that, all of a sudden you're like, yes, please, something, give me something good, right? That's what chapter nine is. Chapter nine is like, it's all been bad. This is not gonna go well for y'all, but, but, here's what he says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. And so... um, what he's saying here is that this particular region, always, you know, you read that and we can often sort of just run by it really quick, but he specifically mentions two different regions of, of Northern Galilee, the land of Zebulun and the, nan, the land of Naphtali. And we've probably read this part of Isaiah 9 before we hear it at Christmas time and we, we basically just brush over it and go, that's two regions I've never heard of before and don't really know how to pronounce. But they do have some significance because again, this area in Northern Galilee, I think we have a picture, there it is, oh. Look, the uh, northern, the very top part of Israel, this is a map of Israel, Old Testament. The land was divided um, in the 12 tribes. And so some of these names we're not familiar with and you like wonder what they're all about. That's what that is. And so this particular region is northern Galilee, Zebulun and Naphtali up in the top. This area was particularly vulnerable to outside attack. And often, in fact, that particular area was, was laid waste and barren many, many times by war. Um, there are various uh, poets that talk about the fertile fields running red with blood. Um, this is a, a, an area that was just constantly under siege and under attack. And, and so what God is essentially saying here in calling out these two regions is that these two particular regions are going to be the place where God's wrath is felt first because of their sin. They are going to feel the full effects of the suffering brought on by the Assyrians. 
This is going to be the place where God's wrath again is on display because of the people's sin. Now, what's often skipped over as we read that, though, is the prophecy just declared that although this is where God's wrath is going to be on display, there's also from this very region, that's where light and hope is going to come from. This land is also going to be known and and be the place where where God's mercy and God's love and God's grace um, begins to shine through. That's the prophecy. So he held the place in contempt because of their sin, but also now the prophecy is that, man, something beautiful and good is going to come from this very same region. And I've read this a hundred times and I've just kind of brushed over it and skipped over it. I want you to hold your place there in Isaiah chapter nine and then look with me over at Matthew chapter four, okay? Matthew chapter four. This is the beginning of the gospel. This is Jesus now on the scene, the Messiah, the one we know was the Messiah who is now, uh, he's been born, he's, um, he's now older and he's beginning his ministry. And I want you to look at this. Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse 12. It says, now when he, that is Christ, that is Jesus now, when he heard that John, that's his kind of crazy weird cousin, John the Baptist, right? Might've heard of that guy, Okay. When he had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. Jesus withdrew to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of what? Zebulun and Naphtali, that same thing that Isaiah mentioned. I would remind you, Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ, okay? 700 years before Christ. And he, um, the gospel writers mentioned this same place so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he quotes from Isaiah what we just read a moment ago from chapter 9. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles or the nations, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them has light dawned. And then verse 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you see, the first part of Isaiah 9 um, is is part of the prophecy. Sometimes we jump down to verse 6, but the very first part of chapter 9 is part of the prophecy that Jesus fulfills. This very same region that sort of bore the brunt of God's wrath for their sin and rebellion would also be the place where light would begin to shine. This is the same place Matthew tells us that Jesus began his public ministry. And a lot of people in Jesus' day, this is part of why they missed him as the Messiah, because they were going, wait a minute, I thought Micah said that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem. Well, he he is born in Bethlehem. You know the story. We'll celebrate that at Christmas Eve. We'll talk about it, right? Um, There's a, a census to be taken of the whole world, and all of a sudden, Joseph has to go to Bethlehem to be registered. That's how he gets Mary and Joseph from where they are up in Galilee to Bethlehem. Jesus can be born fulfilling the prophet, what the prophet uh, Micah had said, that the Messiah would, would come from Bethlehem. But then Matthew 4 reminds us that he goes back to Galilee, and it's from Zebulun, Naphtali. It's from this particular region that he begins his ministry, fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9. This is the region that's going to bear the brunt. God is going to display, if you will, his wrath, justice poured out on sin but it's a great reminder that that's not where it stays, that God also pours out his love and his grace and his mercy in the person and work of Christ. And that's what Isaiah 9 reminds us of, the very first part. Um, Again, they just missed that this could be their Messiah. I mean, Galilee was not a glamorous place, y'all. Galilee was not where people would want to go on vacation. 
Galilee was, again, it was attacked over and over and over. A lot of Israelites didn't want to go to Galilee. In fact, if you remember in the Gospels, when Jesus comes down to Jerusalem and someone goes, hey, that's the one, that's the Messiah, what do they, they go, he's from Galilee. Like, can anything good come from there? Like, that's a, that's crazy. Like, they just totally missed it and didn't understand. Jesus does all of this to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before. Well, back to Isaiah chapter nine, we'll look at the rest of the prophecy that was read just a moment ago. In verse three, he goes on to say, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood. Again, this region was known for battle and war and violence. It said it will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then how is this light? How is this hope? How is this going to arrive on the scene? What's the form that it's going to take? Well, he tells us in the next verse. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. This speaks to both the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. A child is born, uh, born of a woman the way every single person is born. Jesus was fully human. He had to be fully human to take on our sin, our guilt, our shame. He had to be fully man to suffer in our place. But at the same time, the next line says, for to us a son is given, right? Given by who? Given by God. This shows the deity of Christ. He had to also be fully God to conquer Satan's sin and death. Jesus, the Messiah, fully God and fully man. Um, incidentally enough, I would just remind you that when Isaiah writes this, he is, God is giving them this word to, to say, and Isaiah, no doubt, um, has in mind that this will take place in his lifetime. Isaiah's thinking, like, there's going to be a child born. Um, most likely, he was hoping that it would be uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the son of King Ahaz. He was thinking maybe this child that's, about, that's born will be the Messiah. And listen, Hezekiah turns out to be a rare good king, but he, but he wasn't the Messiah. The Messiah would come again 700 years later and fulfill every one of these Old Testament prophecies, every single one. The child is born, his humanity. The child is given, his deity. And then probably the most famous part of the prophecy are the names that we often rattle off, right? The names. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, again, I wanted to set that context because I want you to understand when the Israelites going through what they're going through and in a lot of darkness, when they hear these names, um, this would have been something that they really uh, needed. This would have been the longing and the desire of their heart. Think about it with me for just a second. If if they are a people that is, um, they feel, again, uh, just abandoned and neglected, they're in a lot of darkness. They need a guide. They need something to show them the way. They need answers because they're really confused. They need a wonderful counselor, right? That would have been incredibly good news for them. They, listen, they're, they're a people that is oppressed. They're a people that have been conquered. They're a people that they are powerless against the Assyrians. It would have been really good news for them to hear from Isaiah saying, he's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be a mighty God. There are people, again, that felt neglected and abandoned. There are people that did not feel loved in this moment. There are people that didn't feel cared for. It would have been really great news for them to hear that he's going to be an everlasting father. 
And it would have been incredibly good news for people that have known nothing but war and violence to hear that he was going to be the prince of peace. Their hope was that he would usher in a season of peace for the nation, reminding them of the Davidic when David was king. That was what they were looking for. A baby that's going to be born, who's going to become a king, who's going to be like David. That was at the, the pinnacle of their, of their nation's history. There was a lot of peace and prosperity, and they've never been able to get back to that. And so they would have heard these names, and it would have really, basically what Isaiah is getting at is this. This baby that's going to be born, he is going to be the one that's going to meet the desires of your heart. And church, listen, it's the same for us as it was for them. We can search for meaning and purpose and significance and hope and light in a lot of places, but the message of the prophecy is that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be the one that will, the only one that can fulfill all of your hopes and your dreams and your desires, your purpose and meaning. Only Jesus can do that. Now, I want to I wanna say this, as I was thinking about this text and like, how can we apply this to us? It's a lot of like history and what was going on then and what does this mean? What does this mean for us? And as I thought about this, this text, I thought a bit again about how this would have been received in Israel to different groups. And one group that this would have been particularly good news for were people that were that were trying to walk with God, trying to honor their covenant with God, the faithful that were left sort of looking around at the world that seemed to be just falling apart around them and the rampant sin and violence and all the stuff in their world. Listen, not everyone was running from God. There were some, a remnant, that remained faithful and tried to remain faithful. And so they were left in a world of a lot of darkness. They were left in a world of a lot of sin. They were looking around going, where is God? I need to hear from God. I need to see God. I need to know that God is still in control. Anyone ever feel like that? You ever look around at the world and just go, man, I could sure use a little bit of light right now. Things don't seem to be getting better. Anybody ever worry about the world, you know, I don't know, for your kids and grandkids and the world they're going to be raised in, right? Like, there are some people that are trying to be faithful that look around at the world around them and go, this is not good. I need a message. I need a word. I need to know that God's still on his throne. I need to know that God is still in control. And so, listen, it's the same for us. You ever watch the news? I watch the news all the time, try to stay up and know what's going on in the world. And I got to tell you, it's all pretty bad news, right? I watch the news and like every single story is like bad news after bad news after bad news. And man, it can just leave you feeling pretty depressed. It can leave you feeling a little bit isolated in a, in a broke and fallen world. So this message would have been unbelievably good news for the remnant that felt close to God, that was trying to be faithful in a world around them that was not. And church, I got to tell you, I know some of you may feel that way. Some of you may feel like that remnant of Israel where you're looking around and going, man, I'm trying to walk with God. I'm trying, but it is really hard in a, in a dark world. It's really hard. This message would have been a message of hope that God is not going to leave things the way that they are now that God will bring light, that God will, will bring light in a dark place and God will restore. That's the hope of Advent, the promise of Advent. Another group that this would have been actually good news for in, a, in a, an ironic sort of way is that this would have been good news for those that were far from God, those that were sort of rebelling from God. Because um, at the end of the day, the promise of Advent is a reminder and a warning that it is not too late to turn. It is not too late to begin to follow after God and pursue God. I know that there's probably some of you here today that probably feel like you're in this camp, if you're honest, right? 
Like, I gotta be honest, I haven't really been walking with God. I haven't really been living the right way. I haven't really been trying to honor him and worship him with my life. I've been one of those people that's kind of ignored God in some ways. And again, this prophecy is not just meant to be a get them, right? It's also a little bit of a warning, a little bit of a, hey, it's not too late. Like if you've been walking in the wrong direction, guess what? You can still turn around and put one foot in front of the other and begin to walk in the right direction. It's even good, good news for those that are, that are unfaithful, for those that feel far from God. We've always said as a church that this was our hope when we started our church was that we want to be a place where people that feel far from God can feel loved, welcomed, and wanted. People that feel far from, far from the Lord can come and, and, and see a place where they can begin and they can change and God can do a work on their heart. So this is good news. This, this message was good news for those that were faithful, trying to follow the Lord, wondering where God is in all the darkness. And this was also good news for those that felt far from God, that a reminder that it's not too late to turn around. And then there's another group that I think this would have been really good news for. And that's for those that were struggling in, in darkness. Now, when scripture talks about darkness, sometimes it's referring to sin, We've talked about that already, those that felt far from God living in sin. But there's another kind of, um, I'd say, darkness that just because we live in a broken, fallen world, whether you're walking with God or not, that we all have to sort of wrestle with in life. There are those that are trying to be faithful and trying to walk with God, and that doesn't make you immune from, from just some really horrible stuff in life. Am I right? Like, I've talked to many of you this, this year. I know what some of you have gone through and are going through. And there's countless others of you that I have not met with, but I know your lives aren't always perfect and great. Some of you have suffered some loss this year. Um, some of you are aware in our own family, we suffered a, a tragedy earlier this year that just has just gutted us as a family. It's been really hard, really hard. It's dark. Others of you, I've done funerals this year for loved ones. I have um, counseled with some of you that are going through some depression. And it's not that you're not trying to be faithful. You are. But it's just hard. It's just hard. Others of you I've talked with, your marriage just has fallen apart this year and you didn't see it coming. You went through a divorce you never thought would happen. And it's just been really, really hard. You find yourself at the end of 2023 in a very different place than you were when it started. Others of you I've talked to about your jobs, your careers. I talked to someone just recently who, man, they felt like they were really climbing the ladder and, and, and financially they were set and all of a sudden it just, one phone call changed it all. And they're, they don't know what they're gonna do. I know some of you got a diagnosis this year you didn't expect. You thought you were fine, you thought it was nothing and all of a sudden you got that, got that consult with the doctor you, didn't, you weren't ready for. You see, sometimes you can be trying to walk with Jesus and trying to follow after Jesus. And there's still kind of a darkness that is there because this side of heaven, this world is broken and fallen and, 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 and all of us to differing degrees are, are going to deal with that. We're going to deal with it. And so the message and the hope of Advent is good news because it's a reminder that God is not gonna leave you like that. That, that that's not gonna be the way that things stay that God is a good father who brings light into dark places and that one day he will wipe away every tear from your eye. He will make all things new. And that is part of the promise of Advent. And just as we talk about Advent, we're looking at the coming of Christ into the world. Guess what? There's, there's gonna be another Advent one day. 
There's going to be a second coming or arrival. And so today, whether you feel close to God and you're walking with God and you're just looking around at the world going, what's going on? Things don't seem great. I worry for my kids and my grandkids and this is just a really dark place. Or whether you feel far from God and you're like, man, I am nowhere near where God wants me to be. Or whether you're, you know, somewhere in between, but you're just living with, man, some, some struggle, some darkness, some hopelessness, some despair. The good news of Advent, the good news of Advent is that, that God provides light in dark places, that God will not leave you um, the, way that, the way that things are now. And I want to just end by reading John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, um, verses 1 through 5 and verse 9. John introduces us to Jesus in a different way than the other gospel writers. Um, so, so Matthew and Luke in particular, that's where we get our Christmas story from, right? Uh, the whole shepherds and, and um, the star and the, the, the wise men that come in Matthew and baby Jesus, and we, we, that's where we get that from. But, but John's gospel starts a little bit differently. John reminds us that Jesus is the light. And so here's the way John begins his gospel. He says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse nine, the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Advent reminds us that Jesus is the light in a very dark world. And that in a really um, amazing way, for all of us that are in Christ, um, God's light is in us. And we have the opportunity to be light in a very dark world as well. So as we get ready for Christmas, as we sort of gear up for this particular season, man, my invitation to you is to slow down. And no matter where you find yourself today, that you remember that Jesus is the light of the world and he wants his light to shine through you. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today that um, you came to bring light in a very dark place. That God, you, you, you choose not to leave us in our darkness. You don't leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in our hopelessness. You don't leave us in our despair. Um, but God, you bring light. You are our only hope. God, you are the only one that can wipe away every tear from our eye and restore joy. And so, Jesus, we look to you this Christmas to do that. And I know there are some people here today that are trying to be faithful. They're trying to be faithful and walk with you in a very unfaithful world. And God, I'm, I'm thankful for those faithful saints that are trying to honor you and walk with you and worship you with their life. And I pray your blessings on them because it's very, very hard. And I pray today you would just remind them, God, that you have not left them alone, that you are still in control and they might place their hope in that. God, I know there's probably some people here today though that they're on the other end of the spectrum. Quite honestly, they feel very far from you. They wonder if you could even still love them. And today, I, God, I pray that you would remind them that it's never too late to begin walking back to the Lord. That it's never too late, that, that they are not beyond hope. That you love them and you pursue them and that you are light to them. 
And Lord, I pray today, I know there's people here that are struggling with just some hurts and some wounds from this, from this broken world. Whether it's a loss of a loved one or a broken marriage or a loss of a job or a diagnosis or God, whatever news that they have gotten this year that was not what they wanted, Jesus, I pray you'd remind us that you are the light and you are not gonna leave us in that. That one day you will make all things new and we might look forward to that day. So God, wherever we are today, I pray, you're, I pray you would just help us. Give us your grace. I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen.